You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. Yeah, it's amazing. We're here at our fourth and final uh, Sunday of Advent. And uh, if you want to turn with me to Romans, we're keeping in our Romans uh, series uh, this Advent season and, and looking this week at chapter 15, starting in verse 7. Romans 15, verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promise given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. This is God's word. I receive uh, some unexpected gifts over the years for Christmas. Maybe you have as well. Uh, Two gifts that were out of the ordinary and totally unexpected I want to share with you today. Uh, Several years ago, I received a wheelchair. Now, it wasn't uh, a wheelchair for me, actually. It was a wheelchair donated uh, to a person who uh, suffered from immobility, uh, and it was donated to this person in my name. And so I unwrapped this gift, and it was a certificate uh, with a picture of this recipient of this wheelchair and, uh, and a message saying that this person now has a wheelchair um, because of the donation made in my name. Another gift that was totally unexpected, uh, not a wheelchair, but one year I received a goat. Again, not a goat for me, but a goat given to... Uh, uh, donated in my name to a family I've, I've never met in a, in a village I've never been to to provide milk that I would never taste. And, and it was here, gifts like these, that make me realize around Christmas time how selfish I really am. Because these gifts were ones that I could not enjoy and were not for me. And it was kind of like a thanks, uh, what do I do with this? What do I care if somebody that I've never met now has a wheelchair and someone I've never met in a village I've never been to now has a goat? Now, these gifts are, are wonderful, and, if, and yet they expose something in my heart as I was receiving these over the years of, this is a gift that I didn't expect. It's a gift that wasn't for me, a one I couldn't use, but it was a gift nonetheless that, that benefited somebody, and I could be a part of that. Now, if you're looking, actually, I don't, I don't share these examples to demean these kinds of gifts. In fact, I, I share it to expose the, the incredible blessing that they are. Uh, food for the Hungry, if you're looking for a last-minute gift to do this for somebody else, foodforthehungry.org does things just like this, and it's a great organization that gives food and, and other resources to people that you've never met. But it's gifts like these that are unexpected. Um, Gifts that make you think, well, I'm a really horrible human being. Gifts that make you think, like, is this really all about me? Do I focus so much on myself? 
You know, the message of Christmas is a message of good news. It's a message of the gospel. It's the message, the message of the Bible is one of good news. And when we make this good news so often about how we are to receive it and how it benefits us, we will minimize the scope of the blessing of the gospel. We minimize the blessing of Christmas. We minimize the message of why Christ came into this world. When we think about salvation, restoration, goodness, mercy, grace, when we think about all the blessings of Christ only in personal terms, we minimize what the gospel really is. Remember, we defined hope. This series is called A Thrill of Hope. We're looking at how Christmas is uh, and the coming of Christ is one of hope. We defined it, hope is, a, hope is the desire of some good and the conviction that you will obtain it. And uh, today we look at hope of Christmas that is not what we expect. These unexpected blessings and gifts of, of Christmas and the coming of Christ. There is a future reality for which God plans that's not always on our minds. Our passage exposes that there's a future reality and a future hope and a blessing that is to come to us that we do not think about a lot. And our passage considers these features of this unexpected hope. There's the unexpected picture of hope, there's the unexpected reason of hope, and then the unexpected power of hope that we look at today. Let's look at the unexpected picture. This passage does, it's a Christmas passage. It, it talks about the coming of Christ, the coming of the promised Messiah who would come into the world and rescue his people. And the unexpected picture is that God's purpose from the beginning of time in the heart and mind of God was this purpose of bringing people together who were enemies from one another and alienated from one another and who disagreed with one another and had political and national and, and uh, all other kinds of reasons for not being together, God says, I am going to bring you together. That is my purpose in coming. And that's not a reason we often think about a lot. When we think of Christmas, we don't often think about that blessing, that gift, that all the relational dysfunction, that all of the... Uh, the heartache, the trauma, the pain that has been caused as a result of lost friendships, lost relationships, betrayal, hurt, backstabbing, um, lies, dishonesty, infidelity, all of these things that are painful when, it, when we think about relationships. The reason Jesus came was to bring healing to those things, to bring people together. You know, our passage has all the Christmas words it doesn't it? The one that we read today. Believe, hope, joy, peace, glory. Because this is a, a Christmas scripture, for it speaks of the incarnation of Christ, the coming of Emmanuel to bring healing to the world, to bring his promises, the promises of God, to be true to his promises, that he to the patriarchs, as our passage says, the promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to his people after him, his promises to David, King David, the promises to us that he will come. And so far, as easy as very easy to do, we make these benefits exclusively about us. We make the, the benefits of Christmas exclusively about us. 
And this is unfortunately the way of the modern world. That Jesus is coming to take away all pain, and we think about our pain rather than the pain of our neighbor, the pain of someone else. Jesus has come to bring healing, and we think of our healing. Jesus has come to bring friendship. We think about the friendships that we long for. Jesus has come to bring salvation, forgiveness of sins. We only think about our sins. But here we see in the mind and heart of God is to, to send his son to bring healing to relationships. There's a line in the Christmas hymn, Joy to the World, and it goes like this. The, the stanza is this. No more let sins and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. You know, we've talked the last previous three weeks about how the coming of Christ brings healing to the curse of sin. And we often think about the curse of sin as it relates to us. And even last week we talked a little bit about, uh, James did so, so well, talked about the uh, curse of creation and the enmity between us and, and creation and how all of creation groans uh, for healing. But we forget that the curse of sin damaged not only our deep um, division between us and God, but also us and others, us and creation, us and our 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 spouse, our family, our friends, relationships that have come and gone. We've turned the benefits of Jesus exclusively inward and made the benefits of the gospel strictly personal. My salvation, my peace, my hope, my joy, my love. And we look at the picture of hope that has to benefit other people and it's like going, it's like getting a picture of a goat that's been donated in our name and say, what does that have to do with me? But the hope of restored peace with others is at the core of God's purpose in sending his son. At the core of Christmas is this message of restored relationships. Our passage gives us four evidences from the Old Testament of how that is true. Just one right after another, the Apostle Paul, the author of Romans, is going to the Old Testament saying, look, this is not something new. This was God's plan from the beginning of time, prior to the beginning of time, in the heart of God and in his mind, this was his plan to bring people together. God made promises a long time ago, and at the core of this promise was to bring people close who were different from each other rather than keeping them far apart. You know, first is a quote from King David in 2 Solomon, uh, 2 Samuel. Uh, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Why is he praising? Well, if you look at the rest of that, where that comes from, it's sometimes when you see an Old Testament quote in the New Testament, it's good to go back and say, well, what was happening there? What, What was that passage all about? Here's what David is praising God for. There was strife in the country, in the nation of Israel. There was pain. There was division. People who were different from one another fought with one another. They disagreed, and it kept them separate from one another. And David says this, you delivered me from strife with my people. You kept me as the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. What David is praising God for, he says, not only did you save me, but where there was strife with others, you brought healing. And I praise you because you have not only just brought personal salvation, but you've brought salvation to your people. This is the very heart of God to break down the walls of division that exist among his people. 
The next Old Testament quote is from Deuteronomy 32. He says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. God is bringing two very unlikely people groups, and he is saying, you can now with one voice praise God. There's this invitation. You were separate. You were, you were divided. You were cast off. But now you have God's mercy, and you can, you can praise God with one voice. The Jew and the non-Jew. They had religious and political and national differences. And here is God's, God is saying, what I am going to bring you together with is not based on any of those things, but because of my mercy and my promise and my love to you. And they come together, and they worship God together. Thirdly, there's an invitation that goes out not just to the Jew and non-Jew for their personal strife, but to the whole world, to all people. From Psalm 117, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. The group, don't you see, it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. This is the movement of God's plan. In all of the scriptures, we see the truth of God coming to our hearts to forgive our sins, the truth of his rescue, and he saves us. And then this goes out further. This personal salvation expands beyond our own lives and goes out to our enemies and goes out to the whole world. This is why Jesus was sent. It starts with the people of God. It progresses to our enemies so that all people would be gathered in the praise of God. Part of the reason that the truth of God's grace has come to you is so that your enemies would know the truth of God, so that they would know his mercy, so that they would know his grace. It's not something we keep and hold inwardly and then say, well, then keeping people at a distance, but the very purpose of our salvation is to be a light to the world. The light of God has come into our lives and ought to shine forth for all the world to see as we praise him, as we live for him, as we worship him, as our life looks and lives differently because of our obedience and allegiance to Christ, our enemies will see that and praise God. Finally, there will be a definitive sign for, to all people that hope has come and that God means what he says, and his promises never fail. He will send a man, he will send a person, he will send a child, the offspring of Jesse, into the world who will once and for all break down the walls of division that divide us. Jesus is called the root of Jesse. Jesus is the one who comes into the world that was prophesied a long time ago, from Isaiah chapter 11, which is a portion of scripture that prophesies about the Messiah who will come into the world to signal to the whole entire world that those who are far off from God because of their sin will be brought near because of his mercy. What's that sign? Let's look for it. That's what the angels sang about when the star was in the sky to the shepherds and the angels come and say, today in this city, the city of David, who's David? The son of Jesse. Oh, it's getting exciting now. The son in the city of David. A savior is born for all people. The sign has come. The one has come. The Messiah, the root of Jesse has come to bring those close who are far off. 
He will come to turn anger of God from his people away from his people. His anger will be turned away. The anger that people have with one another will be turned away. They will be turned from one another. Jesus is referred to as the root of Jesse, the offspring of Jesse that would come to accomplish these promises. And the Apostle Paul in Romans tells us in verse 8 that the reason Jesus came was to accomplish God's promises. And what are the promises that we hope for? That one day God will break down the walls of division between people. Now it's not just only that, but we often neglect that part of it. This is a way where God is showing us that it's not just personal, that the personal salvation that he has brought to us has real consequences in our lives and in our relationships. Over the course of the last year, here's the question I ask you and I ask myself because I thought of this question and I, <laughs> I was like, I need to think about this too. Over the course of the last year, have you seen yourself move toward others who are different from you or away from others who are different from you? Over the course of the last year, have more walls of division been built up because of the divisions and conflict and differences that you see in your life? Over the course of the last year, have you become more aware of how like-minded you are with the people around you or how different they are from you? You see, this, this passage in Romans 15 is, is supposed to confront because it's in the course of this message that Paul is giving to the church saying, we know there are differences among you. We know that there are political, uh, uh, personality, national differences. We know that there are differences. But it's for this very reason that Christ has come into the world, is that we will not be defined by these differences, but that we be unified in Christ. Division is the fruit of an antichrist state of mind. Unity is the fruit of the work of Christ through the Holy Spirit in our life. This is what Paul tells us. You and I know grief. You and I know betrayal. You and I know relational pain. Consider this. Jesus came not only to heal your sins, to forgive your sins, but he also came to heal the pain caused by others in your life. And he also has come to heal the pain that you have caused others in your life. You and I have caused relational pain. We have hurt people. People have hurt you. We are all guilty of that. And it creates just this web of relational mess. Jesus came to heal that. He came to give mercy. He came to rescue. He came to restore Jesus came because you have been betrayed. Jesus came because you have betrayed others. Jesus came because of the trauma and abuse and betrayal and the lies in the relationship. He came because not only are we not at peace with him, but we are not at peace with one another. That's why Jesus came. Far as the curse is found, wherever we see the, the consequence of sin in this world, and not least of all within relationships, Jesus came to heal those. Christ came to break down every wall of hostility between you and other people. I wonder what it would look like for you just to consider, like in a moment, just think about where are you experiencing that pain in your life? 
I know we are. We all are. It could be as close as your, your, your relationship with a spouse or a child. It could be as, uh, it could be as broad as just uh, kind of out in the world as you see the brokenness in relationship of how people think differently and live differently. And it just kind of blows your mind that people would think and do certain things. There is an unexpected picture of hope here. And that is that Jesus came to restore even those pains. Now, I want you to realize that Jesus' desire to bring people together doesn't mean that there won't be confrontation of sin. And you're thinking, okay, good. Because that's what I want. That's what my calling is, is just to confront people in their sin and let them know how dumb they are. <laughs> no, there, there's a, it actually requires it. Like confronting sin it is actually a requirement for unity. Moving towards someone as Christ has moved towards us, receiving someone, welcoming someone, requires a, a speaking truth. It, it, it requires a compassion, a mercy, the promises of God. And so don't see them as opposites. Don't see them as, well, if God is calling me to reconcile with others, that means I have to accept, receive, and worship and, and celebrate every, every view that they have. That's not what this is saying. So, you're free to confront. <laughs> there's an ex- unexpected picture of hope. But, that's the, but then there's an unexpected reason for why we are to hope. So let, Paul goes into this now. He, he doesn't just talk about, here, let me give you a picture of this beautiful reason why Jesus has come. But there's a reason. He, he also shows us this is why we can hope that this will come. It will be a reality. We are to hope for and work towards peace with others. Why? Why does it matter? And, and, and God's word tells us why, and in a way that we can't ignore. He says, because God has made peace between him and you through Jesus. Why should I welcome others who are different from me? Why should I work towards peace with people I can't stand? Because God did it with you. Well, I'm his favorite kid. No, you were actually his enemy. The Bible tells us that at the right time, when we were running from God, when we were enemies of God, when we betrayed and rebelled and lied against God, at that moment, he expressed his greatest greatest effort of love towards us by sending his son to die for us. And he says, I did this for you. That's the reason you do it to others. Because you are to live with others as a picture and a sign of the way that I have loved you. And we ask, well, how did you love me? I, run, I ran towards you when you were running in the opposite direction. When you were rebelling, when you were hating, when you were sinning, I died for you, I gave my life. I welcomed you when you had nothing to do with me. So welcome others. Well, what if they don't like me? That's not a prerequisite. Their affirmation, their affection, Their obedience is not a prerequisite as it wasn't for ours. The degree to which we desire and hope for peace with others is tied to our awareness and experience of God's peace to us through the sacrifice of Jesus. This is hard, hard work. The relational work that God calls us to is, I think, the hardest of the work in this life because it is so painful. Our emotions are on the line and they are strong. Our affections, our hopes, our dreams, our fears, it's all there and it's really messy. 
and it's hard to render, give up control to God. But Christmas is an answer to both our, our worldly optimism and, and also our pessimism. And I know we have those, both of those two kinds of people in this room today. So Christmas is, is for the pessimist. The pessimist, any, anybody else? All right. <laughs> yeah, show of hands. I, I include myself in there. There's maybe an abandonment of hope for the pessimist. The pessimist says, what's the point? This is a, it's, it's such a mess. Like what, really, this is like, just seems like so like Pollyannish, like kumbaya, like it's just not worth it. I'm, thanks, but I'm just going to focus on myself because people are a waste of time. People will always be difficult. They can't be trusted. I've heard some people say, you know, I've lived through the 60s. You can't trust anyone. I mean, people tell me that. No, I lived through the 60s. You can't trust anyone. What just happened? Um, <clears throat> So pessimists don't have any reason to hope because of the evidence they see in the world. So pessimists look at the world and they say, I've gathered the evidence and it's not worth it. But then the optimist sounds really good, right? The optimist is really, you know, most of the time the optimist is just really, any optimists? Gosh, we need to get some optimists. Okay, we got a couple. <laughs> the optimists, uh, often they're, 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 Excitement, their prospect for the world and things getting better is often rooted in, you know, worldly changes. You know, thinking, well, people are ultimately good. They're ultimately going to make the right decision. We can trust and, you know, let's look at the good side of this. Let's look at, you know, they are capable of, people are smart ultimately. And then I would say, no, they're not. You know, the pessimist says, no, they're not smart. They're never smart. And the optimist says, give them a chance. And yeah, and we just go at it, right? So give people a chance and, and they will come to their senses, the optimist says. And the pessimist says, unfriend, <laughs> you know. <clears throat> the optimist sounds really good and the pessimist sounds really negative. And Christmas actually gives an answer to both the pessimist and the optimist. Uh, Christmas gives hope to the pessimist because the pessimist has lost hope and given perspective to the optimist of where the hope actually rests. The hope doesn't rest in ourselves. It doesn't, hope, it doesn't rest in our ability or it doesn't even rest in our senses to come to the right decision. Our hope comes <laughs> through Christ. It comes through his mercy. It comes through his promise. Why can we be biblical realists? Because God has promised to do this very thing. And what sign do we have that he will do it? He has done it with us. He has sent Jesus. He has reconciled us to God through his sacrifice. And that's how we, how we know that he is not finished in this world. The call to hope in God's desire to bring people together begins with a call to look to the first Christmas and see how God set aside his own interests to look beyond himself to the interests of others. This is the great news of Christmas that God did not think only of himself, but he thought of us. He abandoned the comforts of glory in heaven and he became a man humiliated and humbled. Just being a human, enduring suffering he didn't deserve, betrayal that he, that he never deserved, a death that was only deserved by sinners of, and he never committed a sin. He was abandoned and rejected. Another word for welcome one another is as God has welcomed you can be the word accept. 
God has accepted us because he's rejected Christ. He rejected Christ on the cross because of our sin. He was punished in our place. I wonder how might your life look if you were transformed by God's call to, as it says in verse 7, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. What if you obeyed that? Just, I mean, just that alone. Let, let me just, let me make it simple, right? There's a, there's a lot that God calls us to, but just think about this and reflect deeply in your heart. Would your life look different if you started to live according to just that simple invitation? Welcome others as Christ has welcomed you. It doesn't say welcome others as, as, as you see fit. Welcome others according to their level of intelligence or reasonability, reasonableness, wisdom, or choices, or decisions, or record. Welcome others as Christ has welcomed you. We need to learn a little bit about how Christ has welcomed us. And this is where we focus our, this is where we cast our eyes now on Christ. We take our eyes off of the mess of the world and relationships, and we just think about the love of Christ for us. Oh, he's been merciful. He doesn't give us what we deserve. We, we, he didn't wait for us to become lovable. He actually loved us in our mess. He didn't wait for your character to, to improve. He doesn't wait for our behavior to become obedient. He welcomes us. Again, that word, he accepts us when we were unacceptable because of our sin. The whole premise of the gospel is this, that that we, deserving to be rejected by God, were accepted by him by mercy alone. The merits of Christ. That's the whole premise of the gospel. It is only as we understand that we are accepted by Christ, by his mercy, that we will be merciful to others and accept them in spite of their failures. This doesn't ignore that people hurt us. This doesn't ignore that people fail us. It doesn't ignore the fact that people are difficult. And guess what? We are difficult too. You're difficult sometimes. I'm difficult. Sometimes even when we do our best, we fail. There's some of us who are prone to, to legalism. This is the idea that we need to continually earn and keep God's favor through our right living, through our obedience, through our righteousness through our character. And when we live like that, we will constantly find fault with others because we're constantly evaluating our value based on others. And we will always see that we are better than others. Well, they don't live up to my standards. They don't live like this. They don't believe this. They don't do this or this or this. We live our whole life based on a rubric of what we do. That's a legalist. We all do it to some degree. Christmas confronts legalism in our lives and causes us to look to God's promise to bring undeserving people into fellowship with himself, and we should do the same. The core, at the heart of Christmas, is God bringing people together. And so he says, that's what we should be about. We should be people who seek after this, who do all that we can to be at peace with others. That, that, that as he takes down the walls of division because of his mercy, we should be examples of that. Without a grasp of the gospel, 
you know, differences of opinion, differences of lifestyle and practices become insurmountable. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed how there's just some things you just cannot get over because of the differences and beliefs of other people? Have you thought to yourself over the course of the last couple years, I just cannot get over that they believe or do dot, dot, dot. And that's not crazy thinking. That's actually pretty reasonable. That's what division does. When we build walls of division up in our lives between us and other people and then say, I can't get over that wall. Well, of course you can't. That's, that's normal. To feel that feeling in your heart of angst, frustration, confusion, hopelessness is completely normal because those are the fruits of division. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Have you already forgotten? (laughs) This is what God calls us to. In fact, the way that you can tell how much you understand the gospel is to look at how much you love people despite their flaws. I'm sorry to say that. We don't like to hear that part. We don't like to hear that part. That's painful. To tell that you understand and really grasp how Christ has welcomed you. Because Paul says, welcome others as Christ has welcomed you. The deeper you understand how he's welcomed you and showered you with his mercy and grace will be to the degree that you can do it for others. Do you say, "If, if God overlooks my sins through Christ?" How can I fail to do this with another person? Do I think I'm more righteous than God? Accepting, of course, doesn't mean the refusal to confront someone in their sin, but it's never justification for hating another person. We can have a hope that one day peace will come to all the relational divisions in our life. Why? Because God has brought peace to the division between you and him. That's the only reason that matters. And so this is hard work. So how do we do it? How do we do it? This is the unexpected power of hope. Finally, we look through this as Paul is walking us through. He shows us the picture. He shows us what it looks like. And he finishes with the power of hope. So how do we do it? How do we do this hard thing? When, when you guys figure it out, can you let me know? <laughs> this is hard. I don't have the seven steps. I don't have seven application steps to put on the screen and say, here's how you, here's, here's how you do it. But what I can tell you is, is this where it comes from and where it doesn't come from. It comes from God who empowers you and I to yield our hearts to him in worship. It comes from God. That's what verse 13 says. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. What kind of hope? Specifically here, it is, it's the hope of the promise of God to restore people to peace. It is the promise of God to bring people together who are enemies from one another. First and foremost, us between us and God because we were enemies and he brought peace between us and God through Jesus Christ. Do you have hope for that? Do you have hope for the relational peace that will come one day? Are your hearts set on that? Wherever there is pain, do you, do you realize, but I know this will be made better, maybe not in my lifetime, maybe not in my kid's lifetime, but I know there will be peace because God has promised it. He will bring it. 
It is at the heart of God to bring peace. I may not see it, but I know and I can live with certainty that God is a promise-keeping God. There is power that comes from God through faith in believing. That's what this says in in the final verse in verse 13. In believing, it comes from having faith in God in what he has promised. It means it comes from taking God at his word and living according to that promise. Belief in our heart, not just this uh, head knowledge and intellectual belief of knowing the story of God, but letting that sink down deep into our hearts and resting in the fact that what he says is true, even when the world around me gives me evidence on the contrary, to the contrary. You look around the world, and we mentioned this before in this series, if we look around the world to get our cues from the world for how things will go, we will feel so hopeless, we will give up, and we will just hunker down and just focus on ourselves and not think about anything else. But God has called us to a mission. He has called us to be a people of hope. He has called us to live in the world as good stewards, as servants, as evangelists, because he will complete what he started. That's why I, 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 don't, I, don't, I would never say, I'd never call myself an optimist because <laughs> I don't think I am, but I want to be a biblical realist. I want to trust in God despite the evidence to the contrary. God's plan from the very beginning was to demolish every wall that separates you from him so that a people of God would be formed who praise him for the world to see, to praise him for his mercy, to praise him for his grace, so that no wall of division would remain between his people. We embody God's plan. We embody the hope of Christmas when we remember that he has welcomed us into relationship with him despite our failures, and we can welcome others and accept others despite their failures. The God who sent his son into the world is the same God who sent his spirit into your hearts. Verse 13 says this, this comes from God and he really has given you the Holy Spirit through faith. He has given you the power that enables you to be this person, to live according to his agenda and plan for your life. Something special is coming. Can can you see it? That's what we're doing in Advent is we're trying to gain a perspective on what is real and true. Can you see it? Do you see it coming? Not just rescue from the world, but actually rescue of the world, of all of creation. Doesn't that sound amazing? That there will be no relational pain, that there will be restoration, that there won't be any strife. God's people are meant to see it, to know it, to embody it, because we have been brought peace with God through Jesus It's coming. Wait for it. Watch for it. Hope in it and live in light of it.